Say now. Yes. Are you enjoying Mother of the Lord's God? The year was 2017. What a year. I believe it was 2017 when I first met Pastor M. And then we went to Mavuno for Fearless as Harvest Institute. And then on that Sunday, we were invited, Pastor Ari and I, to their home for lunch. <laughs> and life has never been the same. He doesn't need too much introduction in this place because we all know Pastor M, Pastor Caro, and what they mean to us and the blessing they've been to us as a movement from way back when we were few, small, insignificant, unknown, and generally disliked. They opened their arms, brought us in, and now we look like normal people. What a blessing. It's been a blessing not only their ministry, but also to, to be their friends. They are our relatives, and it's always a delight to connect with them. And many of you just came from uh, Nairobi two weeks ago to finish all the food in Kenya. So God has loved you because you have a double blessing in such a short time. So, ladies and gentlemen, can you help me give a warm worship of this welcome to Pastor M and Pastor Carol? Yeah. Ah, that's not exciting enough. worship harvest and praise the Lord we are so excited to be here we honor Pastor Apostle Moses and uh, Reverend uh, Ma that's what I had her being called Sarah yeah but we really honor these two and treasure their friendship with us much as they may say that 2017 that's a time that we met our lives have also not been the same as we have continued to interact with these two and worship harvest by extension. Our lives have really, really changed. And I think Mavuno pastors who are here will attest, will attest. And so we thank God for worship harvest. We thank God for what God is doing here. We thank God for the uh, for, for what, uh, there's actually, what we say is that there is a new thing that God is doing. There is a revival that is springing out from worship harvest and we bless God. I think during uh, Fearless when we were there, I just realized that uh, many years ago there was something called a revival in East Africa. And I believe that what we are experiencing now between Worship Harvest and Kenya going on to Rwanda because, you know, our churches are in, Worship Harvest and Mavuno are in that place, that the Lord is doing a new thing. And my prayer is that it will take root, deep root, 
It will go further than even the revival that was there many years ago. And that is going to be generational. And that our children's children will say that because of what God is doing in Worship Harvest and Mavuno, that our, their lives will also be changed for the better. Amen. And so what I'll be praying right now is for generational, just say generational, that whatever we get here today, is, it's not going to be lost on us, but it's something we teach our spiritual children and our children so that it goes beyond us, beyond our borders, and God does an amazing thing in this part of Africa. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jehovah God, because you're the God of the nations. We thank you, oh God, that you started something in East Africa, in our parents' generation. And we are seeing you doing something new. We are seeing you doing something between us as churches and other churches, not just Worship Harvest and Mavuno, but there are things that you're doing and we give you the glory. Only you, oh God, has planned this. Only you, oh God, even before the beginning of time has conceived it. And we receive it, Jehovah God, and speak and scare and declare that as we are faithful to be disciples, that this work that you're doing will be from generation to generation, to the thousands of generations, according to your will and your purpose. And Father, I want to pray that even as Pastor Moridi preaches here today, as he shares your word, we ask you, oh God, we say we are ready to receive, we say we are ready to hear from you. Have your way amongst us today. We just say, Jehovah, here we are, we are ready. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you so much. Please take your seats. Uh, you've um, been such a blessing to us. Thank you, Apostle Mo, for having us. Uh, we are so grateful to be here. What a blessing. Pastor Glory, when I grow up. Wow, what a story. My goodness. Every, every Christian needs a story like that in their life, by the way. Uh, every Christian needs a story like that in their life. Um, and I know I could see the people who have had that experience. They were receiving differently from others. Uh, if you've ever been in that church where the worship team, you had to divide the congregation. Ah, pastors, you know what I'm talking about. You have to, you have to divide because too many of you are on stage. Calm down. Uh, we, we can't look like we are all on stage. <laughs> it was such a great story. I love that story. Um, Apostle Moses, um, Pastor Ari, we love you guys. Uh, thank you for inviting us. We always feel privileged to come to Worship Harvest. And I don't say that to, in any way, just be nice. We really, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. And we always learn. We always learn. You are anointed servants of God. We bless God for you. And we thank God for the ministry you're leading. Can we just appreciate? Come on, let's just, come on, stand wherever you are and just give a mighty shout to the Lord for the father and mother of this house. We glorify Jesus for them. You're a blessing to our generation and we thank God for you. I want to say something about them even as I start. I told Apmo, you know, one of the things that I believe God has used him to do is to usher in this revival. Because God always starts with a man. He always starts, he doesn't just, he doesn't get a committee together. 
when he wants to do something in a generation, he starts with a man. And I really believe God has used this couple and uh, Apmo to actually start something that is unprecedented. In my, in my, I was going to say in my time, it's still my time. <laughs> but the whole thing of churches coming together to work together, to gather together for the sake of growing the kingdom. That's not something I've grown up seeing. Churches gather together to do events. Churches gather together to host international bishops. Churches gather together when there's money somewhere and there's some big... Maybe I shouldn't say all these bad things. But the whole idea of just gathering the church of Christ together for the sake of growing the church of Christ, it's, I think, something that God has uniquely given birth to at Worship Harvest. And it's a blessing in Uganda, it's a blessing in Kenya, it's a blessing across this region, and I believe it's going to be a blessing across the world. And so as I say it, I want you just to understand, because sometimes you don't understand you're in the middle of a revival. You, actually, you can actually think that this is how things have always happened. And I want to tell you, no, it was not like this. And there's something that God is doing through this church, and I believe through this region, in this region, that is unique. So if I was you, I'd take a selfie to remember the small days. Mountain of the Lord, this is the first one. You'll be one of the people to say, I was there. When, when Worship Harvest is, is, is hiring, what's the big, is it Lugogo Cricket? Because that's the only place a gathering, like a camp like this can take place in. Take a picture for the sake of your children to show them I was there historically. When history was being made, I was there. When the revival was not even called a revival yet, the scholars of the world were not yet studying it. I was there and God was doing something amazing. I was there at ground zero when this thing was beginning. Amen. Amen. I think there must be a hashtag somewhere for this. What's the hashtag? Just put it up on the screen what the hashtag is. And then put another hashtag to say I was there. Yeah, and the second hashtag is I was there. Just put it up. And let's just, let's let the world know I was there and keep that for posterity. The internet will never forget you were there at ground zero. To God be the glory. Amen. Once you're done, you can have your seat. I bless God for the fact that I'm part of the history as well. Did anyone take a selfie of me? I don't know. How come I'm not in the picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there also. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Amen. Thank you, thank you. I saw Pastor Steve. At least I know where to get that one from. <laughs> amen, amen. Tell your neighbor, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was there. My goodness. I want to thank you, all of you who came to Fearless Summit. There was a whole ground-shaking congregation from Worship Harvest. Oh, my gosh. What a shock. You guys came and you took over the summit. They are still talking about you till today. And the only humble thing I can say is, transform. We are coming. Yeah, yeah, we are coming also. We have to come. You are such a blessing to us. We are coming. We are coming. I think people say, wherever these people come from, we are coming also. We have to come and see what God is doing in this church. And we, as your president once said to the queen, we will revenge. Um, some of you are too young to remember that uh, East African thing. But we will revenge. We will be here. We are coming back as well. You know, people have asked me a lot about 
the shift in the church. People have asked me, why do we talk about fatherhood so much? Why don't we? I don't know about worship harvest, but Mavuno, maybe Abmo doesn't realize the reason why we really embraced worship harvest as odd as they were is because we were order. In our country, we were the church that everybody thought there was a problem with. And so when, when we saw them, we said, oh my goodness, there are people like us. So he thought we were doing it because of you guys and how loving we are. We are like, oh, finally, we're not the only crazy people around here. And, 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 and you know, we, we, when we started, we were that church that everybody thought we were crazy. And then we got to a place where, you know, craziness always becomes institutionalized. And at one point, you start becoming mainstream. And people like how you do it. And so when we started talking about fatherhood, and I've been listening online even yesterday, uh, and the theme that the Lord gave uh, the apostle of this house about fatherhood, fatherhood, fatherhood. When we began to speak about this and about what God is doing in this season, people started asking, why are you breaking something that's not broken? The church is working. We like our church. We've been coming for years and we like how Mavuno runs. This is a nice church. I don't know, were you guys a nice church? Because us guys were a nice church. Some, some, of you, some of you joined, some of you joined uh, recently, but I believe Worship Harvest was also a, a cool church. We were a cool church. A church that you can bring your friends to and they think, my goodness, these people are progressive. They are moving, you know, the amazing music, uh, incredible screens. I mean, everything is working. They don't shout too much. They are dignified. And, and, and people are like, but we liked our church the way it was. Why are you breaking something that's not broken? You know, they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And people would say, Pastor, why are you fixing something? And people were really unhappy. Uh, I had people go to my spiritual father, uh, Bishop Oscar, and say, your son is starting a cult. Uh, I mean, people were like confused. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? They were very uncomfortable with the changes and, 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 and many times nowadays when people come and say why are you doing what you're doing why are you changing something I like to ask them a question I like to ask them why did Jesus come like why do you think Jesus came because you know your answer to that question determines your picture of what the church should look like and when you have the wrong answer to the question then you're going to have the wrong picture of what the church should look like so today I want to talk a bit about the big picture. I'm, I'm going to pull away from fatherhood for a minute just to give the big picture. For somebody who maybe came in recently and is wondering, but why are these guys so excited about fatherhood, about honor, about following? Why are these things so important? And I want, to, I want to just share something that I believe for me has helped me be able to make sense. When the theologians have asked me, why are you doing what you're doing? I say, okay, hang on. Why do you think Jesus came? Because you see, your answer to that question always determines what you think the church should look like. And I don't know about you, but I know that over the world, many people believe they know why Jesus came. Many people will tell you Jesus came because people were ignorant. They didn't know about God. If you think that's what the, the reason Jesus came, then you know what the church needs to look like. The church needs to look like a teaching space. 
So what the church will have is Bible studies and, and teaching and assignments and classes and the church will be about classes and teaching and they'll be teaching verse by verse through scripture. It'll be strong expository teaching. There's nothing wrong with that, but this is what you think a church should look like. People should actually be in the word. And it's not in the word, it's in the Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, and a mature person is seen as a person who can recite scriptures well. And I like to call those education-driven churches. Education-driven churches. Some of you may have come from education-driven churches. Maybe that's a background that you came from. If you know or if you believe that reason Jesus came was because the world was an ignorant place that needed to be taught then your answer for a church should be, a church should be a place where people sit down nicely, take notes, and discuss ideas. There are other people who think, no, no, the reason why Jesus came is because the world was oppressed. People were held in bondage. The enemy had taken over. And the Son of God came to stop the oppression. And by the way, none of these things cannot be taught in Scripture. All, all these things, you can prove them in Scripture. You can show verses that show that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And, you, and, and people like this will believe that then the church should be a place of healing and of deliverance. And it's a place where people bring their sick every Sunday and we expect to see God move. And that's what the church should be and nothing else. Because the reason Jesus came is because people were oppressed. I call those deliverance-driven churches. Deliverance-driven churches. Now, some of you came from churches like that because that's all that the church, the gospel is about. It's about deliverance. It's about we, the thing we celebrate is people were delivered. The only question is for me is delivered for what? We know what they were delivered from, but what were they delivered for? So there are other people who say, no, no, no. The reason Jesus came was because the world was full of evil and sin and 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 the primary work of the church is to protect and separate people from the world because the world is sinful so what churches like this do is they create a lot of activities to keep people away from sinful contact and so if you've ever grew up in a church like this then you had bible study men's group women's group teens group Singles group, married group, youth group, senior citizens group, intercessors group, social justice group, gun club. <laughs> I think Steve, we're suspicious about your background, Pastor Steve. But, but, but are you getting the picture? is like the pastor's approach is, you want to start a ministry, what do you need? Let's start a ministry for it. And the idea is get people in ministries. Everybody has to be in a ministry because the idea is let's keep people so busy that they're not contaminated by the world. And there are many churches that this has been their approach. I call them holiness-driven churches. And the whole idea is to keep us from being contaminated by the world.
So, so some people say this is not, this is, this is the, not the reason Jesus came. The, the reason Jesus came is because the world was lost in sin. And they, 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 were, they, they needed salvation. And if this is what your church believes, then the idea of the church is to reach out to believe non-believers and rescue them from hell. And so if you grew up in a church like this, every weekend or every week or even every weeknight, there would be a crusade. And they'd be preaching uh, the gospel. And they would be going out in groups to share the gospel in the streets. And there would be fire all the time. It's like we, we, they'd be preaching about fire and brimstone. And it's like salvation altar calls every day. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. But you know, many times churches that taught this, again, it's the same question. Yes, they're saved. And then what? What's the next thing? And I call those evangelism-driven churches. And some of you, that's the kind of churches maybe you grew up in. And then there are people who believe that the reason Jesus came is because people are poor and needy. Uh, there's injustice in the society. And, and the work of the church is to look after the poor and to make sure that people are not oppressed. And so churches like this are full of ministries, uh, uh, soup kitchens, and, and clothes pantries, and, and they're children's homes and schools everywhere and, and, and orphans everywhere and, 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 and orphans being adopted everywhere and, <laughs> and, and the idea is that the church is a place to look after the poor and again I hope you're hearing me say there's nothing wrong with that I'm not trying to criticize the church I'm just trying to say there are churches that for me I call them compassion driven churches so I don't know, as you hear all these, what kind of church background you, you grew up in. But the reason that people think Jesus came is the recipe then that they create a church after. Now, the question I ask, and the reason I ask people this is because I, I say, if this is what you think Jesus came for, what does the scripture say Jesus came for? Like, what does the Bible actually say? The reason Jesus came. And I say, you know, the thing about it is when you discover and you start to explore the scriptures, you'll find a very interesting solution. I was surprised when I did the study myself. What does Jesus preach about? Jesus, the, the bulk of his sermons are not salvation. Jesus only said to one person in one point of scripture, in one verse, you must be born again. What a shock. Did you know that? I mean, many of us, you, you'd almost imagine from some backgrounds that that's all Jesus preached about. But he only said it once to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That's the only time he ever said that. It was not about casting out demons because Jesus cast out demons, but he didn't preach demons. You know, it's, it's a, and, 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 I say, and, I, and I don't want to say this in any negative way. I really don't see Paul doing a study on levels of hell and kinds of demons. Like, I don't, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. He doesn't have this thing of, let me teach you about how to call out demons. I don't see him having any conversation with a demon. All he says is, get out. That's the only conversation he has with a demon. That's not, he never preaches demons. There's no demonology <laughs> uh, in, in Jesus' sermons. Uh, so that's not what he preached about. He cast them out, but that's not what he did. Jesus, uh, he, he, he had compassion for the poor. 
He did, and the book, and, and he fed the poor. But that's not what his sermons were about. Am I, am I messing around with somebody here? Jesus never at one point said, let me take you through the book of Deuteronomy verse by verse. Okay, I've offe- tell me when I start offending somebody in the room. <laughs> I think the guys at the back are looking a bit offended. The people on that side, they're looking a bit worried. Where is this preacher going? <laughs> am I shaking somebody's table on that side? You know, it's, it's so interesting to me that all these are the activities that we do in church, but Jesus never preached about those things. What? Ask your neighbor, what did Jesus preach about? Yeah. Like, like if he didn't preach about all these things, what did Jesus preach about? Can I tell you what he preached about? One topic. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's all. If you listen to Jesus' sermons, they're all about the kingdom of God. And, and, and I find it very interesting for me because I find even at the beginning of, of the Gospels, they say when Jesus came, if you read Mark, is that, can, I, can I have Mark chapter 1 verse 14? When it talks about when, when, when Jesus actually begins his ministry. He's, been, uh, he's lived on earth for 30 years. He's been baptized by John. Now he's been anointed by his father. His father has approved him before he said a word. I love that, that scripture that Apostle Moses taught us from. He said before, the father affirmed him before he did anything. So his affirmation doesn't come from performance. And as soon as he's affirmed, he goes, he gets tempted. And then after that, it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus preached about from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. And you're going to find that many times he would say, the kingdom of God is like. And then he'd tell a parable, a story. His sermons were about the kingdom of God. And he, you know, it's interesting because Mark, Matthew chapter 4, let me give you a few other verses just to convince somebody. Matthew 4, 23. And he went through, can we read it together? And he went... Throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. He healed, but when he preached, he preached the kingdom. He didn't have a whole sermon about healing. He had a sermon about the kingdom. His sermons were about the kingdom. Uh, In Matthew uh, uh, 6, Matthew 6, 10, I want to jump to that one. When he started, they say, teach us how to pray. How do, how do you pray? Jesus, we, we see you praying. We love how you pray. Jesus says, first of all, the first thing he says is our, oh, come on, somebody. Our who? Our Father. Yeah, Jesus' first conception with, with the first thing you pray, the first thing you say in prayer has to do with fatherhood. And then he says what? Your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth. Even prayer is about the kingdom. Jesus never stopped talking about the kingdom. I'll give you a few other verses. Matthew 6, 33. He says, this one many of you know. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what happens? All other things, including healing. 
including deliverance, including teaching and knowledge. All these other things, what happens? They are added. You don't chase those things. They will come. That's why Paul wasn't chasing healing. He said, be healed. The person was healed because he understood the kingdom. So the kingdom is a priority for a believer. The priority of a believer, you seek first what? The kingdom. Matthew 9.35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing all sicknesses. Let me tell you what, as we preach the kingdom, healing is a result. Yeah. We're not focusing on healing. We're focusing on the kingdom. But these things happen as we teach the kingdom. It's a kingdom. It's part of the package of the kingdom. Matthew 10, verse 7 to 8. He says something very interesting. He's talking to his disciples when they are going out. And he says, as you go proclaim this message, what does he say to his disciples? What do you proclaim? The kingdom. Come on, somebody. This is the sermon Jesus teaches his people to preach. He says, when you're going out in your twos, this is what you're preaching. The kingdom, of, because we're here, the kingdom of God is now in your village. This is what he's teaching them to preach. Now, another scripture there, Matthew 16, uh, verse 19, he says to, to Peter, he says something very powerful. He says, and I believe this is a word he's giving to Peter on behalf of his church. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus has spent his whole life teaching kingdom, but now he's preparing to leave and he says to Peter, I'm giving you the keys. And he says, something happens when you have these keys. What does he say happens? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. By the way, I hope somebody at this point is understanding why you need the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, this is why you need the kingdom. When you understand the kingdom, when you have the keys to the kingdom, you just need to bind it and it is bound in heaven. You just need to loose it, it is loosed in heaven. It's that simple. There's no dramatics. Jesus never ever raised his voice to a demon. He didn't. He spoke to it the way I'm speaking now. And the demon left. There was no dramatic because he had the keys to the kingdom. When you understand the keys to the kingdom, you understand. There are things I don't even need to know. I have the keys. Tell your neighbor, I have the keys. Yeah. There are some keys you need to have. Matthew 24 verse 14, my last one. Matthew 24. And it says what? And, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached where? In the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then what will happen? And then the end will come. Is it possible that Jesus is waiting on his church to teach what they're supposed to be teaching? Because he says, this, this is what the church is meant to be teaching to the ends of the earth. And then this is what will usher in the end. So, so what's, what is the kingdom? Now that you have understood how important the kingdom is, let's talk about why. And remember, I'm still going to come back to why we need to talk about fatherhood in the church and why your church cannot remain cool. Yeah? I hope, I hope today you're going to get that from the scriptures. Why you cannot be a cool person in a cool church? Attending cool sermons. Listening to cool music. Uh-uh. That is not your portion in Jesus Christ. Sitting in a cool chair. Uh-uh. That is not your... Tell your neighbor, that's not your portion. 
<laughs> yeah, you're going to understand why you cannot, you cannot even sit there. You have to be planting your church like Pastor Solomon, Pastor Glory. Yeah. My hope is that this is what this is going to help put together for you. So let's talk about kingdom. Let's talk about kingdom. You know, in our modern day, we might have forgotten kingdom. I, I would hope Ugandans are better at understanding kingdom than Kenyans. <laughs> because you have kingdoms, isn't it? You've, you've got active kingdoms here. We don't have kingdoms in Kenya. But even for Ugandans, you really operate in a democracy. At least you have elections. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Did, did, did I? You, you have elections or you have an elect? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here now. I'm, 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 I've been stamped my visa to come in. So please don't put me in trouble, Ugandans. Just agree with what I say, okay? For the sake of anybody who's watching from the state, I need to be politically correct. We are in a democracy. Amen. 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 <laughs> let, let, let me say this. When your parents were growing up however they understood something about kingdom that you don't understand because your parents and my parents we grew up in the same east africa protectorate and there are certain things that our parents understood that we will never understand our parents used to when they were in school the ones who had the privilege of going to school they had a very interesting thing that they would sing and I want to tell you what they used to sing in their parade. They used to sing this song. I'll say the words so that you can hear them. <laughs> God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy, and glorious. Born to rule over us. God save the Queen. Now it's interesting because I see some Australians in the room. They, 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 they probably had no people who sang that song as well. Why would any self-respecting African ever sing a song like that? Born to rule over who? How? Why? Who is this? Where? <laughs> but they sang this in their parade every week. They sang it in parade. I know you didn't know this. Some of you didn't know this, but they sang it. I've asked my parents. They sang this song. <laughs> what a song. <laughs> what, a, what a song. Let me tell you what was going on. They were in the process of being colonized by a kingdom. The British understood what a kingdom was. We don't understand a kingdom. And that kingdom, it had serious impact on them and continues to have serious impact on us long after it left. Yeah. Let me just ask you some questions just to show you that it continues to impact your generation. How many of you have worn a suit and a tie to work on a hot Kampala afternoon? Let me just see. Show, show of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're here. You're here. Yeah. 
Tell your neighbor, that kingdom. That is not something your ancestors would have been caught dead in. But somebody came and taught them something different. They were colonized. They were taught another way of a kingdom. Let me give you another one. How many of you like to drink tea almost every day? Aha. Uh -huh. Look at your neighbor. They were not feeling colonized before this. Yeah, they are here. They are here. This is, this is empire. This is a kingdom. <laughs> it's still operating on you. And even those of you who have not responded to tea because you're those cool young people. How many of you, when you get on a boda or you drive your car, you drive on the left side of the road? Ah, yeah. Case closed. I rest my case. <laughs> I rest my case. Somebody else made the decisions for you. And that is kingdom. You know, kingdom... The takeover of a kingdom was never a gentle affair. When somebody said the kingdom of God is now here, that was a subversive thing. And this is why Jesus was actually killed. They didn't kill him because of your sins. They killed him because he talked about a kingdom. And they understood something about kingdom that maybe you don't understand. That kingdom is not about gentle things. There are some really hard things that come with a kingdom. Let me, let me say something. Let me, sit down for a minute. I want to teach you a bit about kingdom this morning. Because kingdom is so important for us as Christians to understand. If you don't get this thing, you will always... You will, you, 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 you will not understand what's going on right now in this revival. Or you will flow along without understanding. And people who move without understanding, that's a dangerous place. It's dangerous to walk without understanding. So today I want to bring understanding, hopefully, to somebody here. Kingdom comes from two words king and domain domain a kingdom is a domain where a monarch a king or a queen has absolute power in that's what technically a kingdom is now the thing is a kingdom is very different from a democracy there's a couple of things and and jokes aside because i know we, we make a lot of jokes but, but there are certain things that do not happen in kingdoms. Number one, there are no elections in kingdoms. There are no elections. So you, know, you could joke about Uganda, but seriously, the fact that there's an election means that this is not a kingdom. Because the reality is kings and queens do not entertain elections. Recently we had a, a, a public huge funeral, big event defining our times, Queen Elizabeth second longest serving monarch in history uh, passed on and she was buried by the way there was no referendum for her to pass on queenship she only passed it on because she died and there was no consultation to discuss who will take over that person had been determined from birth and everybody knew as long as he's alive he is the next king that's how kingdoms work completely work that way and you know the interesting thing about king kingdoms there's no appointment it is just, this is how, it's just basically, it is by right. Now, it's interesting because the scriptures tell us some very interesting things about God. It says that our God is in heaven. Psalm 115, it says our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. You know, when you don't understand kingdom, you are going to start to think that when God says something, it is a conversation or a suggestion. In, in Kenya, we have, uh, in Kenya we have <laughs> some very interesting things. 
We call them traffic lights, huh? <laughs> and the reason, let me tell you why I want to say this, because maybe Uganda, they work differently from Kenya. In, in Kenya, red means maybe. If you are in the mood and you're not in a hurry, perhaps there's nowhere serious you're going to, consider stopping and allowing other people to pass. That's what red means in Kenya. I'm sure in Uganda it's different. That's why I said you guys are different from us. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> you can neither confirm or deny. <laughs> so, so people in democracy, that's how we operate. You see red and it's like, hmm, uh-uh, I'm in a hurry today. And you go. You don't understand. When in kingdom the king says it, it is done. There is no discussion. There's no discussion, there's no election, there's no referendum. Number two, very connected, the king's authority is absolute. The king's authority is absolute. You know, it's interesting because kings don't consult. They don't need to consult. They consult if they want to. But their word is law. You remember in the scriptures, the king's law was so serious that even he couldn't change it. Remember the law of the Medes and the Persians? Like the king said it, and even the king had to think, how do I go around my own law? Because once I've spoken, it is a law. It is legal. And this is how king kingdoms actually worked. It's interesting because Psalm 119 tells us something about the, 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 the you know, we, we read it, oh, the law of the Lord is perfect. It sounds romantic. It's not. <laughs> when it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. It's basically saying, this is the law. It's not a romantic thing. You take it as it is and you don't change it. That's what they were saying in the Psalms. A king owns everything in his domain. That's the other thing you need to understand about kingdoms. Everything. There's nothing that's left. Interesting thing is that in ancient monarchies, the king, the land belonged to the king. Anybody who had land had it on the pleasure of the king. Even the rich people were rich because of the pleasure of the king. And so if you found somebody who was a duke or a noble somewhere and had land, they were actually holding that land on the behest of the king. And if the king chose, he could take away that land just like this. It's interesting because the British had what they had, they called crown land. It's, uh, 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 the crazy thing is many Africans don't know this, but the, the crown still owns land in Africa. Lots of land. Lots and lots of land. Uh, here in Uganda, in Kenya, in Tanzania. I remember once in Tanzania driving for several hours on a highway. And all the land on my left was the Queen's land. There are many things that were signed by our ruling, like our founding fathers, that we don't, we never got to be told. There were conditions for being released from the colonial yoke, and many of those included just leaving Queensland untouched. Uh, our governments took some of that, because even in, I'm sure in Uganda, just like in Kenya, you have government land. What is government land? That doesn't make sense in a democracy, because government land basically means our land. But you, you all know it doesn't work that way. You go to government land and try and build your house on it. You'll understand very quickly. <laughs> it's actually crown land. <laughs> it belongs to something that's not you. The king owns everything in his domain. Psalm 24 verse 1. It tells you something very strange about God. It says the earth is the Lord and 
everything in it. Like, it's not, it's not like there are some things which are belonging to some people. Everything on this earth is yours. It's his. And he says, even the people on it, it continues to say, even the people who live in it belong to him. That's a king. That's how a kingdom works. Number four, a king confers citizenship. A king confers citizenship. In democracies, citizens are supposed to choose leaders. But strange thing, in monarchies, in kingdoms, the king actually is the one who chose people. And the king could decide, you're not a citizen today. <laughs> and you're not a citizen. It doesn't matter where you are born. It's finished. You just lose your citizenship like that. Uh, it's very interesting. Again, I, I say, like, when I read these things in Scripture, I'm like, my goodness, with understanding, you begin to see some things. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, you did not choose me. I chose you. Yeah? I chose you. I'm the one who conferred upon you. Uh, John 1, 12, you read that scripture earlier. To those who believed and who received, he gave the, he gave rights. They didn't have the right. He gave them the right. Not because of anything. They, it's, he, he's the one who determined and gave rights. People who live in democracies, we don't understand this. Because we think we have conversations and options. Number five, a king can delegate authority to anyone he pleases. Anybody. And so what do kings do? Is if they like you, they will make you in charge of a particular section of their kingdom. There's no check or balance with kings. And it's very interesting because Matthew 18, we read that. It says, he says to Peter, truly I tell to you, whatever you bind on earth, that's unlimited power, unlimited authority. And he's saying, I'm giving you the key. From now on, whatever you bind is bound. Only a king can do that. He's giving him unlimited authority. Now, why does this sound like a dictatorship? It's because of how our minds have been shaped today. Because we have come to see that leaders abuse power. And as a modern democratic people, we get suspicious of any leader who has a lot of power. Because we know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the Bible constantly tells us that's not the king of the Bible. It's a very different kind of king. And it tells us that this king is good. 1 John 1, 5. This is a message we've heard from him and declared to you. Let's read that together. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness. It's telling you in, in him, even our motive. At all, at all, at all. There's nothing shady in God. There's no suspicion of darkness in him. God is purely good. It tells us in James chapter 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So what's that really telling you? It's telling you this is a king who can be trusted because his motives never change. His, his understanding never changes. He never has any evil. So he is good. And that's why in church we always say God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And that's his nature. That's his nature. That's what we're really saying. Whenever you say that, it's not just a thing we say to feel happy. We're saying this is the king and this king can be trusted. He's good all the time. Now, I'm, I, okay, maybe I'm, am I teaching too much? Maybe I should have. Is this, is this Okay. I, I, I just thought it's important for us to, to begin to understand something about the kingdom. Um, Jesus' message is about the kingdom. 
why does he teach about the kingdom? And I'm, going to be, I'm also coming around to the answer of what is the real problem in the world today? Because I said the real problem is not that people need to be saved from sin. That's not the real problem. It's, it's a problem. The real problem is not that people need to be healed. It's a problem. But there's another deeper problem that brought Jesus and caused him to lose his life on the cross. And that's what we're coming to with this kingdom message. Here's the thing I want to say, guys. I want to say that the earth is the Lord's. And in the, if you start reading the, book of, the Bible from the book of Genesis, you're going to start to see what happens. The king, who has absolute power like we've read, he creates this universe, beautiful world. And he puts Adam and Eve, and he gives them authority. Remember, the king can give authority to whoever he chooses. And so he gives them full authority. He says to them in Genesis 1:28, rule over the fish, over the birds, over everything that creeps around the ground. He says, I give it to you. So the king has given them absolute authority over the planet. That's his intention, that humans would rule the earth. But then here's what happens. The human beings, they rebel against the king. What a shock. They were brought up, given everything, put in the Garden of Eden. Eden is a place of beauty. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of rest. It's a place where they have everything. But human beings, being the suspicious people that they are, they listen to the enemy. And they collaborate with the enemy. And they sin against the source of life. And they rebel. That's, that's actually what they do. They rebel against God. And because God is a source of life, they cut themselves off. They make a choice to cut themselves off from the source of life. And immediately they face, when you don't have life, what do you get? They face death. That's a consequence of Eden. So the first thing, they face death on many fronts. They face physical death. Uh, you know, death is not, we know death is that they die. But along with physical death, they create the problem. The problem that's created is why we have doctors. Because from that point on, they face sickness, they face conditions, chronic conditions, they face injuries, they face accidents. None of these things existed in the Garden of Eden. But because of their sin, physical mortality becomes a part, of our, part and parcel of our existence. This thing that is so normal did not exist for us. It was not created with us. It's because we cut ourselves off from life. And when you don't have life, what do you get? You get death. But it's not just physical. It's emotional. Human beings are not just physical. We're emotional beings. So the second thing that happens is we have emotional death. Emotional death is why you have people with mental illnesses. And, and that's why you have people with shame and guilt and hiding from one another. Adam and Eve, what happens when they see God? They hide. They hide from each other. They are wearing clothes. They were not supposed to wear clothes. There was no shame in the Garden of Eden. But now they are hiding and they are hiding from God. And from that time on, men and women have hidden from one another and from God. Yeah. In fact, he even says, this, this woman that you gave me is the reason. It's like they just start hiding. And that hiding is where we have shame, we have depression. We have, we have uh, betrayal. We have all these things that ha happened emotionally. We died. Number three, uh, low self-esteem. You have students here with so low self-esteem? That comes from emotional death. Number three, social death. Social death. Uh, social death is death in relationship. When God asks them, what did you do, Adam? He says, the woman. As in, a few minutes earlier in the scripture, he's saying, what is he saying? Born. Romance is in the air. And then God shows up. Adam, what have you done? This woman you gave me. 
Let me just say today in our churches, that conversation, as a pastor, you get it all the time. This woman. Yeah, we, 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 we throw each other under the bus from that time on. We've disowned each other, we hurt each other, gender wars, marriage strife, challenges in our relationships, it came from there. Uh, I, I'm just trying to paint a picture of how bad this thing was. Uh, environmental death. Environmental death happened. Because now, we are supposed to be caretakers of the planet, but now because of us, the planet is cursed. And if you're experiencing climate change, deforestation, people leaving trash on the streets, people creating ugly environments for humans to live in, all that came from the Garden of Eden. And then finally, physical death. I talked about physical death, spiritual death. Spiritual death. Because what happens to Adam and Eve, from then on, they are detached from God. And that's why every culture you go to in the world, you'll find that the one thing that unites humans, what's the thing that makes humans different? It's not that they're more intelligent. I always tell people, and people say, oh, humans are the most intelligent. That's what makes them unique. No. They're intelligent, but they're, they're not the only intelligent beings. They can speak. They say that dolphins can communicate. They are pack animals that are able to hunt together and communicate. Uh, they even are, are studying some languages in some of the chimpanzees. So it's not even the, the ability to speak. It's not compassion. Uh, compassion, uh, they say that, have you, ever, have you ever read about how elephants mourn when their spouse dies? That some of them can actually go and stand at the gravesite and stay there until they die themselves out of loneliness? It's not compassion. Even humans are not that compassionate. It's not compassion that makes you different. It's not compassion. Yeah. Can I tell you what makes you different as a human being? <laughs> Let me address the elephant in the room. Let me tell you what makes you different from any animal in this world. You will never go deep in the Amazon forest and find a chimpanzee that has built an altar worshipping. The thing that makes humans different is that we are worshippers. We worship. All cultures in the world have shrines, have witch doctors, have spiritists, have priests. It doesn't matter which culture in the world. We are religious beings. Why are we religious? Because we understand that something is missing. If you put an animal in a zoo and give it food, give it mates, like enough of the opposite gender, and give it space, it will be happy and die there. It will never need anything else. If you put a human being in a house with everything they've ever needed, in a very short time, something will be wrong. Because we are made for more. Tell your neighbor, you're made for more. There's a God-shaped hole in human beings. And that's the thing that got broken in Eden. We knew that something is missing. All religions in the world are the same, by the way. All religions in the world are the same. Because religion is human beings trying to make an effort to reclaim the thing that was missing. People ask me, is Christianity, are all religions the same? You know how New Age people nowadays think? All religions are just roots to the same place. I tell them, yes, even Christian religion is like that. Anytime you think that it is you to do certain things, to make God happy with you, and then accept you, that fill the hole with your effort, that's religion, and it's all the same. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a... It doesn't matter. If you're in religion, you're in the same thing. Jesus did not come to bring a religion. Can I tell you what Jesus came to do? 
Jesus came to end your rebellion. Yeah. We're rebels. We rebelled in the Garden of Eden. We decided we don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way. Read the whole scripture from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And you're going to find God interacting with rebellious people. Teaching them to stop being rebellious and follow his way. And every time they followed and God would raise a leader, a father for them. And after they followed for a while, they'd get tired of following and do it their way again. And eventually God had to come himself as a human being to say, let me teach you how to follow a father. Are you understanding this? Like God, God realized how, how rebellious we are against the Father until He said, let me come and model for you what it means to follow our Father. Watch me and learn. And, and listen, yes, when you see Jesus, Jesus teaches you everything about God you ever needed to know. Jesus is love. Jesus is power. Jesus is healing. All those things teach you about God. But here's the thing that maybe you didn't know. Everything in Jesus is teaching you how you are meant to be. Listen to me. Everything that Jesus did, you are meant to do. Because Jesus himself said, John 14, 12, the things you've seen me do, you will do even greater because I'm now going back to the Father. So, so, so God himself is so desperate that you understand fatherhood that he says, let me come and teach you how to follow a father. And all the things that Abba was teaching us earlier now start making sense. He's saying, I don't do anything except what I see my father doing. And he's saying, neither should you. You should never do anything except what your father in heaven is doing. And how do you see the father in heaven? You see the father God has given you. Am I making sense to somebody in the house today? So, so here's the thing I always tell people. Jesus did not come to turn us into nice people. Jesus did not come to turn us into churchgoers. Jesus did not come to turn us into people who know the Bible. Jesus came to end our rebellion. And because of that, the work of the church is through discipleship to turn this world back to its rightful ruler. What is Jesus' commission? He says, now... <laughs> All authority has been given to me. Listen, the authority Adam and Eve had been given in the garden, they gave it up to the enemy. That's why he became the prince of the air. They gave it up. And so Satan now had authority. Here's the thing about the king. When the king gives power, he gives his word, he cannot go against his own word. So what does the king do? The king could have come. Why didn't Jesus just come and why didn't God just destroy the devil and start again? Because his, his word is that I have given you authority. So what does he do? He himself has to subject himself and become a human being. Because only a human being has authority. And then he says, now as a human being, I have lived a sinless life of following the Father. And I have now qualified to receive the keys. All authority has now been given to who? To me. Philippians chapter 2, somebody, it, it says, He humbled himself, took the nature of a servant, and therefore God exalted him. And he says, on that basis, now go and make disciples. What do you do? 
baptize them. Bapt- baptism is bringing them into the kingdom. And then doing what? Teaching them. Teaching them what? Oh, come on, somebody. Teaching them to obey. Because let me tell you this about Christians. Christians don't believe in obedience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christians want to go to church. They want to be taught to come to church. We like that. We want to have nice worship teams. But obey? Obey? And Jesus says, you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's what will guarantee my presence in your church. If you're not teaching your people obedience in your church, Jesus' presence is not there. It's not guaranteed. Because he says, when you teach them to obey, behold, I will be with you until the very end of the age. Uh, Is somebody with me so far? Have I left somebody behind? Ask your neighbor, look at your neighbor. Are they looking lost? Are we together? I need to conclude. I need to conclude. But I'm, I'm hoping... Pastor Salome has given me a little extra time. I've got her time. I'm hoping somebody is beginning to understand and the lights are coming on for somebody. This is not a style that Abmo is teaching us. It's not a preference that he likes a church where people are being children, you know, and they're calling him Papa. That's not what this thing is about. What a shock. Yes, I know you're uncomfortable. I know, I know you don't like being excited and jumping up and down. But that's not what this thing is about. Jesus did not come so that you can come to church and feel good about yourself. Jesus came to end your rebellion. And that rebellion in your heart that tells you, I don't want to follow somebody. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to, I've got my life. What about me? That's what happened in the Garden of Eden and that's what caused the problems you're in right now. God's people, this kingdom message, it is so critical that we get it. We must stop playing around with the kingdom. The king is not here to suggest that we follow him. This thing is about ending our rebellion. He's serious about that. The king came to end it. He wants us to fall in line and to follow him. That's what he created us for. You did not create yourself. And when you come into the church and you start to follow Christ, you no longer live. Christ lives in you. You lost your choice the minute you became a believer. Paul says that. He says, I've died. I no longer live. Yeah. (laughs) We offer ourselves upon the altar as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice has no vote. It has no opinion. It is dead. It's just that we are living, but we are dead. That's what really we are symbolizing by a living sacrifice. But I think some of us, we are very happy to just crawl off the altar. (laughs) I gave my life to Jesus, but after that, I crawled off the altar. And the sacrifice is running around the church. It's not on the altar anymore. (laughs) Look at your neighbor. Do they look like they're running around the church? There's no, they're not on the altar anymore. 
Wow. Tell your neighbor, Jesus did not come to turn you into a nice person. He came to end your rebellion. And listen, this king has absolute authority and he wants absolute authority in your life right now. There are some of us who've been living our Christian life on our own terms. We sort of are following when we want to follow, the things we want to follow, how we want to follow. When, when, when it's something comfortable, then we'll do it. When it's something uncomfortable, then I'm not in. Don't count me in. That's the rebellion in your heart. You need to recognize it and call it out for what it is. And, and God will not have partnership with rebellion. Uh, he, he detests rebellion. He says rebellion to him is like witchcraft. You're, you're, you're like a witch doctor in heaven. You're in the same category with a witch doctor. That's what he's saying. As long as you think you have an opinion as you follow Jesus, then you're a witch doctor. You really, you really, have, no, you, you really have no right calling yourself a child of God, a member of his kingdom. And I believe that's why he says, many will come to me on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not even cast out demons in your name? And you'll say, I never knew you. You're a rebel. You're just a person in the other camp. You, you and your father are in the same camp. And, and I believe that today God wants us to come to the understanding that, hey, this loving father is calling us back to a place of obedience and following. He wants us to follow him willingly willingly with our lives I mean my father is such an amazing father that he doesn't force me to follow he gives me a choice he, he doesn't make me a robot he actually allows me to say Moravi will you follow me or not and he wants me to be the one who says I choose to follow and he wants me every day to make that choice because I made it once yes but he wants me every day to wake up and say I choose to follow it's going to be difficult Lord but I choose to follow some of us when trouble comes I pray and things don't happen for me and it's like God what kind of God is this I'm following I don't know if you've had people who leave, left your churches because things didn't go the way they prayed and it's like who are you really following what were you what was your picture of why Jesus came Jesus didn't come to make you happy he came to end your rebellion and you need to be like the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. I've been reading through the book of Acts. How does a man get stoned for church planting? I mean, Solomon, you had, you had some issues in your church. I agree. But nobody ever stoned you in Gaba and almost to the point of death. Nobody ever did. And then put, and, and, yeah, nobody ever had to put you in a basket to escape the people who were stoning you. But that's the Apostle Paul. He's church planting and everything that could go wrong goes wrong. He's prayed, he's fasted, and all these things go wrong. What does he do? He picks himself back, and he goes back and continues to preach the gospel. Because he knows this thing is not about me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I'm not living for myself. Uh, too many of us have become rice Christians. It's like I'm here as long as there's a feast around. I'm here for the good things. By the way, let me say this. Our God is a good God. He's a blessing God. He has favor. He gives us favor. He gives us wealth and riches. And I'm a beneficiary. Like Apmo, I can testify. I don't know need. I don't know need. I've in fact, I can't remember the last time I thought about need. As I followed him. But let me tell you this. Because some people can look at that and say, I want to follow him for that not knowing need. But Paul says, I have known what it is. I'm content whether I have plenty or I have nothing. The things that God has given me, I hold like this. Yeah, I hold like this. And I'm like, God, they're yours. They're yours. My wife and I, my sweetheart here and I, 
Um, she's, she's an amazing woman. We've been blessed by God. We own multiple homes. Multiple homes. Um, and they're not homes that we have struggled to own. There's never a home we've struggled to own. God has blessed us. Some of you here have walked the journey with us and seen us owning some of our homes. And we've never struggled to own them. We own multiple homes. But you know something? If God today tells me, give this one to Pastor Angela, to the prophet. And I say it loudly because it's true. I don't own it. He owns it. There's nothing I own that is mine. I'm, I'm the poorest man in the world because I don't own anything. But in the same breath, I'm the richest man in the world because my daddy owns everything. He owns everything. So I don't serve him. I don't serve him for the blessings. I don't follow him for the blessings. I follow him because he's my father. I love him. And when he puts fathers on top of me, I follow them because I love him. The king has appointed this one. This one may be younger than you, but they're your location pastor. The king has chosen. You are not consulted when they were put in charge of you. Am I talking to somebody in the house today? Yeah. You are not consulted. There was no memo to call you to a meeting that somehow you just did not find. This one was called and was appointed and put up in charge of you. Yes, you've been a Christian for a long time since Christian Union in high school. God bless you. I thank God for all the knowledge you have. But you're not the location pastor. Yeah, it's not you. And even, and here's a shock, here's a shocking thing. Even the apostle himself did not appoint that person because he was doing what he saw his father doing. So when you receive your location pastor, receive them as the Lord's representative themselves. The Lord has put them in charge of you. And don't follow because you like them. Follow because God did not come to make you happy. He came to end your rebellion. Oh, come on, somebody. I just want to pray for some former rebels in the house today. Father, I thank you for the members of this church. I thank you for the sons and daughters in this house. I thank you, Lord, for the sons and daughters from other houses as well that are represented here. I bless you that, Lord Jesus, today you brought some revelation. Somebody has begun to understand that this thing of sonship is not a style. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not something we're doing because it's a fad right now. This is the kingdom of God. This is what God intended for his church all along. And, 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 and for somebody here who maybe has even spoken ill of their church, spoken ill of their leaders, uh, and, 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 and even felt so uncomfortable because they're being asked to follow. But today we've come to understand, oh my goodness, there's revelation in the house. I see your revelation in this house. And there's somebody who's begun to understand, I did not choose myself. God chose me. I'm not the one who brought myself to worship harvest. God planted me in this family and gave me a father in this home. And I will follow them as I follow Christ. And so Father God, in the place of your revelation right now, I just sense there's somebody here who's already just saying, forgive me, Lord. And if this is you, just, just say that prayer of forgiveness. Ask, that, ask him to forgive you. The king is in this house, and I believe that he's forgiving. He's, he's a loving God. He doesn't bring his word to condemn us, but to forgive us. Just say, God, forgive me. 
the thing that I really believe that the Lord is saying right now is there's somebody who is about to experience healing. You've been ill. And what you've not known is the illness has come out of your collaboration with the enemy in your rebellion. And there's somebody right now that the Lord is going to heal in this meeting without anybody laying hands on you. Because of your confession, of your saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for being a rebel in the house of God. I believe there's somebody else here who has been stuck, stuck, stuck in your career, stuck in your business. And what you've not understood is it's because of your rebellion. You've said, I'm too busy to build, to be in this place. I'm too busy to, to, to follow. There's too much asked of me. And you're not understanding that the very thing you're seeking is a thing that when you begin to seek first God's kingdom, it will be added to you. You won't have to seek it as hard. It will follow you. And right now, as you make that prayer of confession, just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for being a rebel. Help me to be fully compliant. Help me to be a follower. I don't want to lead my own life. I don't want to be that person who, who makes decisions. I want to see what my father is doing and to do it. I want to follow the authorities you've given me. Some of you, by the way, the confession also needs to be about your fathers. We Mo taught us about 10 types of fathers. Some of you, it's your, 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 your biological father, your physical father that you're in out of order with right now. And the Lord wants you to just bring a confession and say, God, forgive me for being a rebel. Yes, my father does not deserve honor, but he is the person you've put in authority over my life. And just bring that confession right now and make a commitment that I will honor this person going forward. Not because they're worthy of honor, but because you've made them in charge of my life. You've put them in charge of my life. And because of that, I will give honor because honor is due. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And so, Father God, I thank you that in this house today, there is freedom. In this house today, there is release. I see the kingdom of God coming in this place. I see Satan falling down from heaven like lightning. Our sons and daughters are set free from rebellion. Our sons and daughters are coming into order, into kingdom order, as they're coming in partnership with their father. That Lord, there are no rebels in this house, but people who are fully compliant, people who are following you hard as you lead us. And so Lord, I bless your people now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people say it together. Come on, let's give the Lord a mighty shout. We honor you, Jesus.